Welcome to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein. Thank you very much for downloading, and I'm assuming listening if you're hearing me talking to you right now. Any notes on the show today, you can email the program, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. I am on Twitter and Instagram at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. The music you were just listening to, provided by Wasted Talent. They have a new song, Drowning, out now. Check it on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to music, it will be there. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent. There are X's where the A's would be. You can also find their producer, Tommy Fresh on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. As mentioned on Monday, it is a crazy time in the world of sports. We have basketball playoffs now officially underway. Hockey's playoffs are getting real good. Baseball is just shitting all over itself. And we have a major in golf this week. So a lot to get to. We will start in the National Hockey League as it has been just a phenomenal few days in the world of the National Hockey League with the Stanley Cup playoffs in full gear, as they would say. Uh, Some would say. The first series I want to talk about from last night, Minnesota falling to the Vegas Golden Knights. 3-1 ends up being the final. And for Minnesota, this definitely feels, I don't even want to say like one that got away. It's just Marc-Andre Fleury was spectacular in that game. And he is the reason why the Minnesota Wild find themselves going home tied at one instead of a two nothing series lead for the Wild because they were all over Vegas in the opening frame specifically of that one. And for Vegas to not be down like three nothing after one and it's instead being scoreless is basically exclusively because of Marc-Andre Fleury, who once again just continues to go in the way-back machine. He makes 17 saves in the first period. Uh, Eventually, he makes 35 in the win. And if you are the Pittsburgh Penguins, this is one... I I talked about it on the previous platform that I have. This is a situation where younger isn't always better. And for Pittsburgh, now they have neither Murray or Fleury. But... It really looks like they made the wrong choice in which goalie to protect and which goalie to let Vegas pick up. Vegas gets Marc-Andre Fleury, and it just looks like an absolute steal now. He is the reason that they have had the success that they have had up until this uh, up until this point, and I, I can't stress enough how impressed I was with Marc-Andre Fleury last night against the Minnesota Wild team that just is not going away, but a Wild team that had a couple of issues. And this is where Vegas has really, I think, set a new standard in the NHL and changed how the game has played a little bit. As we saw when Vegas came into the league, it was just speed, 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 fast, quick. Everything's moving so quickly. And... They took advantage of that again in this matchup, as you see a couple of times where the speed advantage that Vegas has just absolutely rings true. As Yanmark wins a race to a puck, sets up um, Alex Tuck for an opportunity, you have just uh, too many instances to, to list here where Vegas's speed was a, a deciding factor, and that, that is always going to be an advantage that Vegas has regardless of who they are facing. One thing I will note about Vegas, they're going to need some of the, the big boys to show up a little bit. And like Alex Tuck was phenomenal in that game and has been a real underappreciated, I think, part of what Vegas has done. I liked Carrier's game a lot on uh, on last night, but 
you're going to need guys like, like Stone can't finish a game with one shot. William Carlson ends up with a couple shots on the night in 22 minutes of play. You have Chandler Stevenson gets a couple of shots in 22 minutes, but you're going to need those guys to step up a little bit more. It can't just be the Carriers and the Tucks, because at that point, you kind of lose the skill advantage that you have over this Minnesota Wild team. The Wild have built some pretty good depth, and obviously they are working with some high-end talent. Fiala with eight shots last night. Kaprizov, who is the reason why the Minnesota Wild have turned into the one of the most fun teams to watch in the NHL. But it's obvious the high-end talent advantage is with Vegas. And if their high-end talent isn't taking advantage of that edge, then this all, all of a sudden becomes a much more interesting series. And you, you kind of contradict this with how the Colorado series is going. And that one the other night was just complete domination from the Colorado Avalanche. They were all over St. Louis right from the word go. And Jordan Biddington playing out of his mind is the only reason it was as close as four to one. I had Colorado minus one and a half and was sweating it a little bit toward the end. But you look at how different these two series look like they're going to be. Because this Minnesota Vegas one, it could end up going just four or uh, well, it can't just go four now. The series is tied to one, but it could end up just being a five game series. Vegas could step on the gas pedal and off they go. But it looks like Colorado is going to have a bit of an easier time with St. Louis than Vegas is going to have with Minnesota. And these two appear to be on a collision course and there isn't a whole lot separating these two sides. So if Colorado is going into this one, with a bit more of a an easier matchup in the first round, that could be the edge that they need. Also from last night, Tampa Bay, I, I said it on the show on Monday, and I, I really do believe it. Tampa Bay is a class above the Florida Panthers, and while that was a great story, how close Florida was able to keep it in game one, that feels more like the one that got away instead of wow, we're hanging with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Because now you head back to Tampa Bay, down 2 nothing in this series. This one could end up being a sweep instead of, oh, wow, give me seven more or give me six more of that. Oh, you might only get a couple more of it because Tampa Bay, they're, they're just better. And for the Florida Panthers, it's a phenomenal story. But now the, this team that has finally reached the level that they thought they would a couple of years ago, that's fantastic and it's great for them. But there, I, I just, I don't know how many guys in that room know how to handle this situation where you take it on water a little bit after that game against Tampa Bay. How do you respond in game three on the road where you know if you lose that game, you're done. You're not coming back and winning four straight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I, I have all the respect in the world for so many of the players on the Florida Panthers, and I love that they are getting this spotlight and this opportunity, but now you can't just be the plucky underdogs. How do you respond? How do you handle being down 2 nothing in this series? I'm fascinated to see how Florida does. They're going to have to with better D-zone coverage as Tampa Bay... I don't want to say, like, just carved them up, because they didn't. It, it was a close game still. 3-1 to one ends up being the final, and there there was an empty netter there. But there's just too many times where Tampa Bay was hitting the zone with some speed, and too many times where, hey, that's an open look. Can't have that against a team as good as the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Florida Panthers are a cool story, but it does feel like that book is running out of chapters. Pittsburgh against the Islanders. I, I think this one has a, a bit of... 
I think you can compare it to Washington and Boston in this way. Washington, I thought, played a very good game in game two against the Boston Bruins, and they end up making just a couple mistakes and they end up in the back of your net. And for the Islanders, you watch that series and you think, okay, Washington and Boston are so close that if any team makes any kind of mistake, it's going to cost them and that could shift the balance of power. And I think that the Islanders... Because of how they have to play. Like, there, there is no question. If you just stack the rosters up side by side, are you taking the Islanders or are you taking Pittsburgh? I'm taking Pittsburgh. I'm taking the one with Sidney Crosby. They're getting Malkin back. And again, we talk about missed opportunities. It feels like this was a missed opportunity for the New York Islanders. No Malkin. That is your time to take advantage of the Penguins. And they weren't able to do it in Game 2. They were in Game 1, but... It's one mistake, and it ends up costing him. And it's early on, it's just a misplayed puck in the neutral zone that ends up on Rust's stick, and it ends up in the back of the net. It's a sloppy turnover, and it's just some horrible goaltending that gives Pittsburgh the edge. And hey, would you look at that, it ends up being a one-goal game. That that goal does not end up being the game winner, but the Islanders, as again, as great as this story is, and I feel like I'm shitting on all the good, all the good stories in the NHL right now, but as great as this story is, the Islanders are not a talent-rich hockey club. They have to play strong fundamentals, and I don't want to say smother you, because there, there's more talent on the Islanders than that, but you can't just be giving away opportunities and be giving away goals. That's not going to work. The Islanders are not talented enough to make up for a lack of talent edge and mistakes on top of that. The Islanders have to play perfect. And in this game, they didn't. And that ends up costing them. And it costs Washington too. As we go to Monday night, the the Capitals, I thought, were the superior team for most of the night against Boston. I thought when there were stretches where one team was chasing, it was Boston chasing Washington. But Washington allows Boston to stay in that game with turnovers and some sloppy play from... It was mainly Dylan all night, and that's weird because I'm generally a pretty big fan of his, but it, it was just, it, it was turnovers, and it was missed opportunities. It was defensive zone breakdowns that leads to, that, that leads to the Marshawn winner. Washington should be up to nothing in this series. And this is coming from someone who has Boston going to the final four. I, I haven't liked a lot of what I've seen from Boston. The perfection line shows up. We've seen DeBrusque have some flashes. We've seen Taylor Hall have some flashes, but there just hasn't been enough. And then you look on the Washington side, it's been all four lines. I talked about how much I liked Orlov. He has a real nice setup in in game two. I feel like Washington has played the more complete game, and I, I'm liking them in this series more and more. Now, it heads back to Boston a little bit later on today, and maybe getting back to home ice is all the Boston Bruins need to get back to their game. But as close as this has looked on the scoreboard and as close as this has looked on the shot clock, I haven't really felt like it's looked as close on the actual ice. Boston really needs to get their stuff together. The problem is Washington's allowed them to kind of hang around in this series. Uh, the, the other series that's been going on that we haven't talked about yet, Carolina-Nashville. This is another one where I just think Carolina's better. And the, the Preds, they get some great goaltending down the stretch, and that allows them into this series. This ain't it for them, man. Like, I, I think Carolina takes this one pretty easily. We are finally welcoming the North Division into the playoffs, aside from the Flames and the Canucks playing, probably while you're listening to this. 
again, if you're watching those games and not getting paid for it, bravo. But Toronto against Montreal, Edmonton against Winnipeg, it is the Oilers and the Jets who make the North Division's first appearance in the postseason later on today. I'm seeing a lot of people saying that this series is going to be close, and it probably ends up being close, but I, I just... I feel like this could be one where the Oilers' talent kind of is able to to style a little bit. And for the, the Winnipeg Jets, I think that to get to this point has been a fantastic coaching job from Paul Maurice. And you look at the, the depth that has been built at the forward spot for the Jets, and that has helped them get to this level. But I look at that blue line with that group going up against this forward group of the Oilers, I... I Quite frankly, I don't think it should be close. But again, credit to Paul Maurice for the the job that they have done and credit to Kevin Sheveldayoff and Paul Maurice for establishing the culture and the work ethic that the Jets have. I think, again, if you just stacked up roster v. roster, you would think, oh, okay, well, the Jets are going to keep it close, but Edmonton's probably going to win this series. But the, the Jets have a real chance because of the culture that's been established and the coaching job that Paul Maurice has done. I like the Oilers. I like them pretty big in this series, but I think Winnipeg is going to try to ugly this one up a little bit. I'm fascinated to see because last year we saw an Oilers team that had a distinct talent edge over the Chicago Blackhawks, but the Blackhawks had that experience and they were able to really take it to Edmonton. What will be fascinating, because I didn't like when Edmonton got, I mean, to, to for lack of a better term, when Edmonton got punched in the mouth last series, or last year, they didn't respond very well. How will they respond when Winnipeg is the one doing the punching this time around? It's going to be interesting. I, I I still think that McDavid and Dreisaitl is enough to win this series, but the the Winnipeg Jets are, are going to try to take this one in the mud, and I'll be fascinated to see how it all plays out. Moving to the NBA, we are into the play-in rounds. We saw the first two last night in the Eastern Conference. They both sucked, but everyone's been getting ready for tonight with the West. Up first, it is Memphis taking on the San Antonio Spurs. John Morant getting the national spotlight. And I I also think that this is a good spotlight night for the San Antonio Spurs. Like I said on Monday, they have some young players that are really fun to watch. And you have one of the greatest coaches of all time. And that is where I kind of like the Spurs in this one tonight. We'll get into the wagering aspect of it a little bit later on with a new segment on the show. But I think that San Antonio will be able to recognize, like, John Morant is an exciting player, but he hasn't really rounded out his game yet. And we have seen teams start to back off of Jaw. I, I think San Antonio will do that to the extreme in this one, and it will be up to Morant to, to respond to that. I don't know how he's going to. We haven't seen him in this spot yet, but... I, I do think that San Antonio defensively is going to be able to keep this game close, and I think it's going to come down to a last shot. I, I still think Memphis wins this game, but I think the Spurs keep it close. And then we get into the extremely intriguing aspect of the night, and that is Golden State taking on the Lakers. It is Curry v. LeBron, and for as much intrigue as there is around this, odds are this ends up being a Laker blowout. And I think this is a a real interesting spot for Steve Kerr to be in because what do you do with Curry? Because this is not win or go home. This is not do or die. If you lose this game, there is still another one to be played. If this was just a a strict one game playoff, then I, I think you see Curry play about 48 minutes in this game. But because there is the potential that you have to save Steph for the second half, 
it, it would almost be best case scenario. I mean, best case scenario for Golden State is to win this, but I don't think they're going to win it. It would almost be best case scenario for it to be ugly early, and then you can kind of limit Steph's minutes. If you're down nine going into the fourth, you're not just going to sit Steph for the, the entire fourth quarter, but he is the only reason you are in this, and he is the only reason you're even looked at as a potential threat in this game and in the playoffs going forward. You can't just wear him out in a game you're going to lose by seven and then have him have nothing left for either Memphis or San Antonio in the next game. I understand that as loser mentality. They can't think that, but I'm going to be interested to see how Steve Kerr manages Steph Curry tonight because I I just think this Laker team is a problem. We have seen the LeBron versus Golden State formula before where LeBron's going to try to get whoever is guarded by Curry to come over and screen for him so LeBron gets to ISO Curry and then he gets to go to work. And you can't just throw Draymond on LeBron in this series because then AD is going to eat you alive. And the the Lakers' size is probably going to be too much for Golden State. The only way Golden State wins this game is if Steph Curry is if Steph Curry scores 60 tonight. And that is within the realm of possibility for sure. And he alone is good enough to keep them in this game. But I I really do think that for as excited as I've been about this game and as intrigued as I have been over the last few weeks of the possibility of Steph v. LeBron in a one-game playoff scenario, now that we are here and now just objectively looking at it, I just think the Lakers are too much for Golden State. So I, I think LA wins this one rather handily sets up some interesting matchups in the playoffs and we already know one of our eastern conference another one of our eastern conference matchups with boston now taking on the brooklyn nets they get the win it's not the most inspiring of performances tatum gets 50 again one of the and part of this was a real rough announcing night but that was one of the most nondescript 50 point performances in the history of the NBA. Like, it was just, it wasn't a, oh my god, this guy is on fire. It was just, oh, well, he hit another shot over Beal. And, oh, Ish Smith is a foot shorter than him in defending him? Well, that's cool, I guess. So, Boston against the the Brooklyn Nets, it's going to be interesting with the Kyrie factor against Boston. And you get now Brooklyn with the... The, the weird trade that happened a long time ago and how the Nets might actually be ahead of Boston and might get to an NBA championship before the Celtics do, which seemed absolutely implausible five years ago even. So an interesting series with a couple of storylines, not quite Washington against Brooklyn. That would have been fun with Westbrook going up against Harden and KD and all of those guys, but it's probably going to be a pretty quick series as the, the the weaknesses that Brooklyn may have, Boston just does not have the weapons to exploit that. And if this if that series goes the way I think it does, then I'll be interested to see where the Celtics go from here because this has been an extremely disappointing, underwhelming season for the Boston Celtics. In the first play-in game, it was the Pacers just absolutely curb-stomping the Charlotte Hornets. It was like 144-117. It was a lot to not as much. And for Charlotte, they just didn't defend at all. Like, there isn't a grand takeaway from this one. It's... And it's making it a little bit tricky to get a read on what 
tomorrow is going to look like with the Pacers taking on Washington. Because if Washington defends a lick, that's going to be more resistance than Indiana faced. It, it was just, it was shooting practice all night. The one thing Charlotte did was take away Sabonis, but it's like they had all five guys focused on that. And then it was just open look after open look for anyone. And if you didn't want to shoot from three, you were given a free pass to walk into the paint. So not a good showing for the Charlotte Hornets. I thought we'd see a little bit more from Ball and from Monk and some of the young players for Charlotte. And instead, it was just a depressing ass kicking. So the and it's too bad because this is a different type of a scenario than some of these guys have faced before. And you want to see how your young players handle being placed in these types of situations. And maybe you can learn from this and grow from it. And that's going to be the company line in Charlotte. But there isn't a whole lot of learning that you can do about yourself when you're getting your ass kicked and you're not doing anything like that, that. That was, and maybe that is where the learning is, but in terms of hoping that your young players grow from this, it's like, well, Hey, next time play defense and we'll go from there that there just isn't a whole lot to take away from it. So a disappointing showing from Charlotte. I still think Washington rounds out the final eight in the Eastern conference and I'm much less interested in whatever or in in that matchup than whatever it's going to be in the West. But I, I'm still a fan of the play-in, and I, I still think that this adds a lot of intrigue going forward because we wouldn't be talking about teams like Charlotte and Indiana and Washington at this point in the season. So I, I think a, a really a really cool thing that the NBA has in the play-in tournament. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. You can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. So, once again, Major League Baseball, while other sports are having grandiose times, the NHL is having just a, a phenomenal last few days, and there's so much drama in the NBA Baseball is deciding to talk about unwritten rules again because apparently this sport can't get out of the 1920s. The incident in question happened the other night as the Minnesota Twins were getting the hell beat out of them by the Chicago White Sox. They bring in a position player to pitch. He serves up a home run on a 3-0 count and the baseball world loses their collective minds. And this is a prime example of what I talked about with the Jake Vertanen stuff from a couple of weeks ago. If people in baseball got as fired up about some of the accusations that have been thrown around regarding some of the people involved in their sport as they do about these bullshit unwritten rules, then baseball would be in a much better place just from a human element. And that is the thing that got me so worked up. And that's the thing that continues to get me so worked up is that people will gloss over sexual abuse allegations all the time. And I'm not saying everyone does, but it doesn't feel like they're taken as seriously as they should be. But you swing at a 3-0 pitch out of the zone and hit a home run off of it in a game that's a blowout in fucking May? Well then, how dare you? And this is where we need to... At, throw the book at these people and how dare you and then to top it all off a minnesota throws at the dude the next day which get all the way the fuck out of here i i get that th this is a man's sport and this is this is how men handle things they hurl objects at 100 miles an hour at the other guy to prove a point and if you think that's manly then 
again, I got no time for you because your feelings were hurt because a guy swung at a 3-0 and pitch? Duh. It's just so infuriating. And it's just, it, it is beyond old school. And the thing that is the most frustrating is that the White Sox manager, noted asshole Tony Larusa, didn't even defend his own player. He was like, oh yeah, I liked how Minnesota handled things. So again, to recap, you have a sport that has been riddled with sexual abuse allegations that, oh, well, we're looking into that. But a guy decides to have some fun in a baseball game and how dare he hits a home run and gets a ball thrown at him. That's where the outrage comes from. And you have a manager who two weeks ago admitted he didn't even know the fucking rules of the sport anymore, defending the unwritten rules that resulted in his own player getting a legitimately hard baseball thrown at him at 93 miles an hour. I, I just, I wish Tony LaRussa paid as much attention to the real rules of the sport and, not to be a dick here, but the real rules of the road instead of focusing on the unwritten rules. The White Sox should be the most, one of the most entertaining teams, not only in baseball, but in all of sports. But you just have this old bastard who is sucking the life out of it, and you have these unwritten rules that are forcing baseball to stay in the 50s and are forcing their ratings to stay in the toilet instead of celebrating some of these young players. Rant over. One of the other most exciting things, again, not just in baseball, but in all of sports, is Shohei Hotani, as he is leading baseball in home runs while having an ERA in the twos. There is nothing like this in all of sports. I don't... Show me anyone. LeBron James, anything. Nothing in sports is as impressive and as exciting as what Shohei Otani is doing. And the Angels lose a bit of watchability with Mike Trout going on the injured list for the next six to eight weeks. But I, I just, I need to speak directly here to LA Angels management. Don't fuck this up. Please, 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 please. Look, it is embarrassing that Mike Trout is on a team that never makes the playoffs and the most exciting player in the sport, and maybe the best player of his generation is on a team that is consistently underwhelming. That's embarrassing enough. But if you ruin this for us now too, if you ruin both Mike Trout and Sho Shohei Otani by being an awful baseball team yet again, I can't have that. I can't do it. Can't be doing that kind of stuff. We need Mike Trout and Shohei Otani playing meaningful games down the stretch. I I don't want the peak of Shohei Otani to be a Sunday night baseball game in April. I need to be seeing him play meaningful games in September. I need to have him be must-watch TV in August on a Tuesday. I I th this the Angels just can't go quietly into that dark night and for too long the Angels, okay, well, great player, and look at this. The Angels won the offseason. They brought in Justin Upton or Anthony Rendon. Can any of those guys pitch? And now you have a dude who can, and you're still not doing anything. The Angels are on the brink of ruining the two most exciting players in the entire sport, and two of the most exciting players in all of sports. And I just, I can't have that. So Angels, please, I beg of you, get your shit together. I, like... It's pretty clear from listening to the to the, the past few shows in my entire broadcasting career. Pretty big fan of the Toronto Blue Jays. I want the Angels 
to have a better trade deadline than I want the Blue Jays to have one. That's how desperately I want Shohei Otani and Mike Trout to get into the postseason. I mean, I want the Blue Jays to have a good enough trade deadline that they also get into the postseason, but the Angels need, need, need to be one of the best teams in baseball so we get more Mike Trout and more Shohei Otani in more fun situations because it's been great for May, but it needs to be great in September. Last one on the docket for today, PGA Championship coming up this weekend, and this is going to lead into a new segment that I'm going to call Today's Ticket. That's basically just going to be, hey, these are the bets that I like. I'm telling you this. I want to put a full disclaimer on. This isn't a, eh, these are my locks of the week. Call 1-900-LOCK now. A, that phone number wouldn't work. But also, th- this, those types of, hey, this is my stone cold lock of the whatever the hell. Eh. It's sports. It's unpredictable. If all of these games were absolutely predictable, then it would be no fun. And so to say, I 100% know this is what's going to happen is ridiculous. This is just me telling you, hey, this is how I think it's going to go. Take this information as you will. But I'm really fascinated to see how Jordan Spieth does at the PGA Championship. From everything you read, it seems like the short game is going to be kind of important this weekend at this tournament, um, the the second major on the golf schedule. And I think Jordan Spieth is going to be able to take advantage of that. So I I like Jordan Spieth a little bit sprinkled on Patrick Reed, but there's actually quite a bit that I'm liking on today's ticket. So to run through it, I'm going Colorado minus one and a half over the St. Louis Blues. Like I said before, Colorado was so much better than St. Louis in game one. If you are going with Colorado minus one and a half, you're going to have to sweat out some great Jordan Binnington saves. And you're going to be saying some awful things about Jordan Binnington for a little bit, but I do think the Avalanche eventually pull through. Same thing with Carolina. I just think they're a class above Nashville. So I like the Hurricanes minus one and a half. I thought about going safe with Washington plus one and a half against Boston. But like I said before, I think Washington has played the better hockey in the first two games of this series. I think that continues into game three. So I'm going Washington straight up. They're at plus 150. Going the Oilers to take game one over the Jets at minus 155. In the play-in game, like I said before, I think the Lakers, the the most likely scenario in this, like there, there are a number of different ways. Steph Curry goes nuts for 105 points and Golden State moves on and the Lakers now have a do-or-die do game coming up against either Memphis or San Antonio. But I think the most likely scenario is... LeBron and the Lakers dominate. I I like the Lakers minus five and a half. San Antonio, I'm picking them plus four against Memphis. Like I said before, I don't know if they win this, but I think they make it a one possession game down the stretch. And I think backing off John Morant is going to provide some interesting challenges for Memphis in this matchup. And I think the young San Antonio Spurs are going to be able to make it rain from distance and keep this one close. So I like San Antonio plus four. And in baseball tonight, I like the cards in the first five innings with Flaherty on the mound against Pittsburgh. I think the Red Sox and the Blue Jays go over. Toronto's offense has been unbelievable. Vlad Guerrero Jr. should be getting some MVP buzz any day now. So with that offense going up against Boston, who will be facing Ross Stripling tonight, who bounced back from a shaky first inning in his last outing, but still... He certainly can get hit up. I like the Blue Jays and the Red Sox to go over nine and a half. And I like the Giants in the first five against Cincinnati with Gosman on the mound. The Giants have been a sneaky good story in the National League West. I think they get it done against Cincinnati. So probably not going to have like 13 games on the ticket and this often, but there's just a lot in sports that I like tonight. 
That is going to do it for the program today. We'll have one more official episode of Couch Potato Diary coming up on Friday. That's going to be more combat sports focused. Some of the underlying stories from UFC 262. There's a fight night card happening this weekend. We will break that down. Big news in the wrestling world coming out earlier today. AEW is moving to TBS. We're just getting a little sprinkle of the news coming from this. And so I think it'll be good Friday. We'll have all the information out on that. Looking forward to breaking that down. Some frustration about WWE backlash. Surprise, I know. And so much more when it comes to the world of pro wrestling, professional boxing, and mixed martial arts. If you have any comments on the show today, email us, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. The music you're listening to is from Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. Find their new song, Drowning, on Apple Music, Spotify, and YouTube now. And if, for whatever reason, you're thinking, man, I just have not had enough Peter Klein in my life. Our general history podcast, We Had No Idea, came out earlier today. It is on the events that lead uh, led up to the Australian gun ban. So some good information on that. You can check that podcast out on Instagram at We Had No Idea Podcast. Thank you for downloading, rate, review, and subscribe. And I'll talk to you guys later. I'm out. <laughs>